Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey there. Before you start listening, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast. This episode contains language and content of an explicit nature. Listener discretion is advised. Before a song is released, a record is produced, or a chorus is written, the musicians that write them think a lot. They live a lot, and they feel a lot. Before the chorus dives into the stories and experiences that shape these artists, and ultimately, the music we hear. I'm your host, Sophia Lubricaro, and this is my 2023 end of year recap, episode one. Hey there, it's me, Sophia. So as you can tell by the the title of this episode, this is something totally different. It's also out on a Wednesday, which is not normal. Over the next few weeks, I am going to be putting out episodes about my favorite music, albums, memories, concerts, you name it, from this year. And I wanted to start sentimental, part because I I am a sentimental person, and part because I haven't quite finished my um, albums of the year list yet. I mean, I, I start compiling it throughout the year, but I have to somehow knock it down to a digestible portion for this podcast. And so it's really hard to cut things down. And I am procrastinating on that as much as possible. But that will still be out for you in the next couple of weeks. But anyway, for this episode, I was trying to figure out how to approach it. Like what's the best way to kind of organize some of the best memories and shows that I have from this past year of 2023. Um, And I got this idea to do it kind of yearbook style. Every year I also release a playlist called the Insert Year Here yearbook and it's my top songs of the year that will be coming to you later this year as well. Just keep an eye out on at Before the Chorus Podcast on Instagram and you'll find that there. But yeah, this just seemed like the best way to to look back at music memories of the year. So put it in categories um, and we're going to go through it. Also, I am going to be making playlists to accompany all of these end of year episodes, as well as an extra one that will come out really close to the end of year with my tips for 2024. So all of these will have some lovely, again, playlists accompanying them so you can listen along to the music that I'm talking about for reference. And that will all be linked also on my Instagram and my highlights. Once again, that is at Before the Chorus Podcast. 
All right, the first category is the best what-the-fuck moment. <laughs> and that is... Terrible drum roll now. The time that I went to see John Legend play a concert at a shopping mall. Then, uh, okay, I will now explain what happened. So a friend of mine works at USA Today, and one day he hit me up saying, hey, John Legend is launching a skincare line and is doing a concert in a mall, I think, in Century City or Culver City to celebrate. And do you want to go? I have tickets through work. And I was like, yes, I have never in my life put together the uh, the Mad Lib sentence John Legend concert at a mall. So obviously I had to go. And first of all, I mean, it was amazing. John Legend is one of the best live vocalists, I think, of, of recent time. He is such yeah, it's such a, a brilliant and charismatic performer. And he played this stripped back set at a piano in the mall. They had like separated a whole little area out for him. You could see his wife and children sat not too far from the front. One of his kids was like climbing up on the chair and waving at his dad. It was super cute. Um, but there is something, I guess this is one of those things where, you know, I live in LA and there is definitely a surreal quality to this city sometimes, you know. There's just weird shit that happens here. Sometimes good weird, sometimes bad weird. Um, it's hard to explain because it just sounds so like, like, why does this stuff happen here? I don't know, but I, I feel fortunate to live here and to get to have these really novel experiences. So whenever something, you know, presents itself to me as an opportunity, I'm going to take it because it was just so, again, so shocking and so silly to get to go and see this incredibly, you know, renowned artist play smack in the middle of a shopping mall. But once again, it was an amazing show. So mall or not, I got to see someone show their art in a really beautiful way. All right. Next category is another shitty drum roll on my standing desk in my closet. Best vocals. I think this one, when I tell you who it is, you're not going to be even remotely surprised. The best vocals I or best live vocals I saw at a concert were Caroline Polachek's. I mean, if you've ever heard her sing, and if you haven't, go listen to the playlist. Like, pause this episode, go listen to the playlist linked, and then come back and continue listening, because Caroline Polachek is just... She's everything. She just is. She's a classically trained singer, um, so she's able to do things with her voice live that a lot of people normally wouldn't risk doing just because if if their voice is not cooperating that day it might not go as well as planned but she can hit these like I call them like siren notes because she really does sound like like a mermaid calling out to lonely pirates at sea she's just able to do these incredible things with her voice and she sounds just as good live as she does on record I don't think there was a pitch that was off, but also, you know, like it's not just like a technically perfect performance that you're just kind of watching and staring. She's so dynamic and so joyful to watch. She has a really cool set. She's such a unique dancer. So you end up just having, yeah, the best fucking time while also just 
you know, like having your jaw on the floor, like how wondering how she does all of the things that she does. All right. Next category. This is the best. I needed that moment. That was when I went to see Nation of Language and Walt Disco perform together at Heaven in London. The reason I say that I needed this show was because, as I've disclosed on the podcast several times, I deal with burnout a lot, um, part because of my OCD and just because, you know, working in, in music, there's like a high volume of stuff that you have to consume sometimes. And it can be easy when you're not careful to lose touch with the just the joy of music, the way it gives you energy instead of, you know, getting trapped in like the the kind of technical side of it or just going through the motions. And I remember being just really tired the as I was heading to the show. And there was a sort of, I guess, positive one-two punch, if you will, of one, Walt Disco, our friends of mine, they are truly some of the nicest people that I know in music. Um, and I'm always so happy after spending time with them. So first off, getting to see them as the opening act at this incredible show, just the kind of beaming pride that I felt for them was rejuvenating. But after they played, we all kind of hung out towards the back of the venue while Nation of Language were on, and me and the Walt Disco gang just danced like idiots. Like, like no one was watching, like very stupid, silly dancing for the entirety of Nation of Languages set. And to be able to just let go and just soak in in this music and really focus on not the technical prowess even though Nation of Language are a very technically brilliant band but rather just focus on the way their music made me feel the the joy of dancing with a community was everything I needed and more in that moment and I think that actually brings me to I realized I didn't um you know, I'm going to give this a category now. I just realized I didn't put it in a category, but I do think this is one of the most important things I can mention this year. I'm going to call it the most important discovery of this year for me, which was something called Stud Country. It's another thing I've mentioned here on this podcast. Um, it is an incredible line dancing night here in Los Angeles. Um and when it comes to a space that teaches you how to let go, to show up imperfectly as yourself and be surrounded by a community of people that are dancing to music with you all together, Stud Country is the greatest example that I could ever give you. Um, it is also a, a queer run night, which I feel is very important to share because while I am a non-queer person, though a proud ally. Um, I am deeply grateful to, one, for all of my friends in the queer community, seeing them have this space where they feel supported and loved by each other. And, you know, while I, you know, I go to this space because it is a space where all are welcome, I'm very mindful of being a non-queer person in a queer space. I have to be respectful of that fact. Um, but because this is a space that I am allowed to be in and that all are welcome in, um, something I have learned from being in this beautiful, supportive space is 
just getting to show up as your authentic self and that you will be embraced there. You will not be looked down upon, which I think one go flies in the face of a lot of the stereotypes of L.A., of this idea of artifice and superficiality and you have to be cool. And that's true for some spaces. It's not true for all. But being in the space where you can be extra, you can be loud in the way that you move, you can be silly if you want, you can be slutty if you want, if that's what the dance is asking for and you feel like that's the way that you want to go. Um, it's, it's so magical to be able to let go. And I think that that is the greatest power that music gives us. It's the ability to feel and the ability to let go. Um, and also just enjoying music for what it is. We we dance to everything from Caroline Polachek and Madonna to Kenny Chesney and Brooks and Dunn. And like we, we go into some of the campiest country that you can find. And it taught me the value of just enjoying music for what it is and letting it serve its purpose of just bringing joy. So in that sense, yes, Stud Country was the best discovery of this year. Um... Actually, I do have a runner-up to, I'm going to say it's an unnamed category, but runner-up in terms of, I think, just things that bring me joy and people doing things for the joy of doing them, very much in the vein of what I've said about Stud Country, what I said about the Nation of Language show. Um, I went to see an artist called Katie Turner play at the Troubadour here in Los Angeles, and she decided, along with the opening act, to do a cover of Breaking Free the karaoke song that they sing at the beginning of the first high school musical movie. And I remember thinking to myself, this is so silly and so camp, but also so like, fuck you, I'm going to do what I want. And I think, you know, I, I love, you know, analyzing and intellectualizing music. It's what I do half the time here on this podcast. But I don't like when that comes at the expense of just letting people enjoy things for what they are. And just doing things because they're fun. And her covering the song, me with my friend at the show, belting along to it. Because I grew up on High School Musical. I was a kid at that time. And having this just delicious moment of nostalgia felt so fucking good. So that ended up being this surprising highlight for me this year. All right. Now we're going to get into like the, oh, this shit's really cool. So next category is da-da-da-da-da, drum roll, coolest setup. The Museum of Contemporary Art here in L.A. Uh, did a an electronic uh, DJ series over the summer. And the night that me and a friend of mine went to was the Detroit Industrial Night. I've long been a fan of industrial music. There's something about it. I think just because it's got these like very like clangy percussive qualities. I can almost imagine like being in a factory and someone like hitting all of the walls and the vents. And it creates this like fascinating sense of space. Like you can it almost feels like the sounds are creating the walls of the room that you're in. And it's such an interesting thing. I think also electronic music as a whole is so hypnotic and lets you kind of go into this trance that you just kind of get to get out of your mind and that is such a needed feeling sometimes. And so getting to go be in this museum, in this big open space that they had, dancing with lots of other people um, and just enjoying 
being around this incredible music. I mean, Detroit is the home of industrial music. So having DJs coming from that city and sharing that music with us was so great. And also, I'm really shit about finding good electronic clubs. It's probably something I should look into in 2024. So having a local museum set that up that I it's a museum I go to anyway, made that really easy for me. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Um, next category, the best throwback. And that for me would be when I went to see Half Moon Run and Flight play at the Bataclan in London, not in London, in Paris. So Half Moon Run is a band that I grew up listening to. They were one of the first indie bands that I got into and they are hometown heroes for me. They started their project in Montreal and have continued to be based out of there. So they're very, very beloved in my hometown. And I think it's been about eight years since I've seen them do a show. I think they did like a a show and a rough trading or rough trade a show and a record signing a rough trade in London while I was in school. I still remember that by the way because I had a four hour gap between um, one of two of my classes, and I was in Northwest London and this show was in East. So I literally ran out of my first class, quickly grabbed some food, got on the train, went all the way to see them do this show met them, took pictures, got back on the train, and then went all the way back for my next class. Like, I was like, I am not missing this for the world. And then didn't see them again for another eight years. Got to interview them this past uh, spring for their latest record, Salt. So go listen to that episode if you like. Um, But then I finally got to see them play a show live in Paris in September. And that was such a, a gorgeous throwback for for teenage Sophia. Simultaneously, their opening act are My Dear Friend's Flight, which in its own way is kind of a throwback, more maybe to my like London college times because I've known the guy since 2017, um, back when I was in college. So it was just like such a cool moment to see friends as well as this band that I've looked up to for years playing a show together. And I had a lovely time. All right, now for the final category, because I am a sentimental sap, as we have already established, the final category of my top concert slash music memories of this year uh, is the most wholesome. I'm going to put two together. Uh, that was getting to see Arthur Verakai and Ezra Collective, respectively, here in Los Angeles. Both shows run by an incredible group called Jazz is Dead. The reason that I put these two in the wholesome category is for a few things. One, I mean, Ezra Collective are so excited to share their stories of how they came up and share the immense gratitude that they have for being in the position that they are. And as well, their music just exudes joy. So their whole show was this party it was like a spiritual experience of just feeling uplifted like everyone was just like feeling like these rays of sunshine kind of piercing through us and just having the best fucking time um Arthur Verakai this was his first ever show I believe in LA and from the get-go Adrian Young and Ali Shaheed Mohammed, who run Jazz is Dead got up on stage and they are so big on the concept of giving their people giving people their flowers while they're still around. So they were revving the crowd up being like, y'all don't realize like what you are about to see and how much love this man deserves for the artistry that he has given us for how many lives he's touched, how many artists he's inspired. So please make sure that he feels 
all of this love. Like they were like almost like in our faces about it. Like we need to make sure that this man understands how loved he is. So that for one was wholesome. Number two, and this is a reason that I have such gratitude and respect for Jazz's dad, as well as the fact that I've been a huge jazz fan since living in London and they've brought a lot of the London scene over to L.A., I have such a respect for the genuine love that they have for the music that they support. Um, Adrian has gone and learned Portuguese so he can work with a lot of artists in Brazil. And best of all, during the show, I, I could see him darting back and forth across the stage in his nice pleated trousers, by the way. This guy's always dressed fly as fuck. But he was crawling on the floor of the stage with a camera, trying to make sure that he got all the right photos and the right videos, making sure that everything was going right. And all I could think to myself was, this is a person that is in this not for clout, but because they really, really, really love and respect the music. And that warmed my heart to see that. Like someone that could have an ego just totally chucking that out the window and focusing on making this the best possible concert that he could both for Arthur and for the audience watching. Last but not least, um, my mother was at this show with me. My mother um, is just under five foot two. She's probably going to kill me for telling you that. Um, but where we were standing, we were not too far from the stage, but we had this really, really tall guy standing right in front of her and she couldn't see and so the bouncer came up to her and was like, hey, do you want to stand side stage for the last song so you can actually see? So he brought her up again to the side of the stage so that she could watch the rest of it and actually see what was going on. And that act of kindness and just getting to see my mom enjoy this show. And she had an incredible time, by the way. Oh, it just made me so happy. It's just one of those nights where it's like, look at all these people being good to each other and just like showing up for each other, showing so much love and support. We need more of this. This is what being in a music community is supposed to be. So with that, those are my memories of 2023, the best concerts I went to, the best just general music memories that I had. I'm sure there's a few more buzzing in my head, but I had to cut it down somehow. So I'm glad I could share these with you. If you tune in next Wednesday, I'm going to be sharing my album highlights of 2023 along with a corresponding playlist the week of that or the week after that, you're going to be getting my artist tips for 2024. And then on December 27th, you're going to be getting the albums that I'm excited for in 2024. So stay tuned. I've also still got a couple of interviews before the end of the year, two more left. So yeah, keep an eye on the usual spaces at Before the Chorus podcast on Instagram at Before the Chorus on TikTok. Make sure you're subscribed on whatever streaming platform you use. And I'll talk to you again next week. Bye. This podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by myself, Sophia Lobricaro, and the artwork is by Meg Wilford. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.